Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. You know, this month has been all about Thy Kingdom Come. Well, actually this year. And as often is the case, I guess when the Holy Spirit says something to you about or gives you a word, uh, and for those of you who don't know what that kind of language is, maybe it's new to you, uh, the Bible specifically tells us that God is a speaking God. The very first thing you ever read about God is that He speaks. It's the first thing that He does. And so He continues to speak. The book of Hebrews says that where in times past He spoke unto us by the prophets, He has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And so it ought to be no surprise that Christians claim they hear from God that we serve a God who's not silent, but He keeps speaking uh, into our life. And so this word, Thy Kingdom Come, you know, for me, I guess I thought of it purely in terms of the Lord's Prayer and the rulership of Jesus. But the more I look into it and the more I begin to unpack it, the more I realise it's a lot more than that. Do you know uh, the meaning of the Greek word in Thy Kingdom Come in the Lord's Prayer? It's a Greek word. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not a theologian. I can just tell you what I've studied. Uh, but it's a Greek word, akomai, but every meaning of that word means activity or action. Every single meaning of it, and there's uh, probably 20 or 25 meanings, but every one of them says that there's something that's happening and that there's more to come. So when we say thy kingdom come, we're not referring to something that's happened and now we all park, but rather it's referring to the fact that God continues to unpack something in all of our lives, that there's more to come than what you've had, that there's more than what you've experienced. And that's why I think every Christian that I know of, uh, certainly in this church, has a perpetual hunger. It's almost like a hunger, you're satisfied, but you're not satisfied completely. You're satisfied, but you know there's more and you want to keep on going and seeking God. So I want to encourage you just to take throughout this year opportunity to say, God, what do you want to bring into my life? What more is there? I know when I come to every one of these services, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What do you want to do that's more? I never want to come and have church. Uh, I want to come and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in this place tonight for the lives of everybody that's here? And you know, there isn't one of us in this building tonight that doesn't need more of God, that doesn't, uh, that can't experience more of God, that doesn't need more of God's strength or His power or His peace or wisdom, revelation for every single one of our lives. So let me just encourage you to uh, just have that kind of expectation. Come to church hungry, because uh, according to the verses we've been reading in the last couple of weeks, it's the hungry that get fed. Amen. So turn to your neighbour right now and say, I'm hungry. And not for the ice creams that are coming later. They are the summertime ice cream, Peter's Maxi Bonds. Uh, I, I, I kind of got a vague idea of what they are. They're some kind of ice cream sandwich, I think. And there's three flavours, vanilla, cookie, caramel, rough uh, as well. So you can, well, they're free. You can grab one later and hang around and chat to somebody. That'd be great. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that indeed You do have more. God, we thank You that for Thy kingdom come, there's something that You want to appear in our life. 
It may be a gift or an anointing or a talent. It may be a new commissioning. It may be a new season. It may be something you want to do for us and in us. It may be something that you want to release from us. God, it might just be a strengthening and a building and an increase. But God, whatever it is tonight, We wanna tell you, Lord, tonight that we are ready and we're expectant. We're open for what You wanna bring into our life. God, there is nothing in our life off limits. There's nothing we're saying, don't touch that. We're saying, Lord, whether it's in our relationships or in our physical life, our emotional or mental life, Lord, You are welcome into every single part of that. We give You alone all the praise, all the glory, not as a cliche, but Jesus, simply because we know it's You that does it and we're grateful to You for it. In the Name of Jesus, Amen. Uh, Right through February, by the way, we're going to be unpacking to you some of the things that are coming up this year. Uh, This is not business as usual. I was sitting with Pastor Michael Battersby this morning. Prior to the service, he was our guest worship leader this morning. He's from our church, but he's not on the worship team anymore. And uh, I was chatting to him and telling him about some of the stuff coming up this year. He sat there and he shook his head. He said, really? And I go, yeah, all that stuff, Michael. Uh, And there's some of that that literally, I think, is going to change whole spaces and environments. Uh, We've always been a church that just is making room for more vision from God. So I'm pretty excited about that. So we'll be sharing some of that through February, all right? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to get you to read it again. Grab the bookmark. If you haven't got one of these, they're free. And uh, I use mine. They're actually really good for because they're one of these folder kind of ones. So you can mark two spots at the same time. So that's pretty cool. And it's got written inside of it, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next bit? Thy kingdom come. That's what we're on about all through this year and particularly this month. And we started speaking, or I did two weeks ago, on the spirit of the kingdom using the Beatitudes, which is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. And uh, it's famous. I've seen it on people's homes that weren't even Christians because they love the kind of the tone. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven, says verse 3. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't that a lovely verse? And we love to put those kind of lovely verses up on our walls somewhere or other. But I began to discover after I started preaching it, that actually it's divided into three brackets of three. I guess I got intrigued when I counted to nine. And I saw there were nine blessings. Whenever I see nine, I know that God likes threes. There's a trinity. He likes threes. And so there's three, three and three. And then I began to look into it and discovered that the first three are actually all about your posture towards God. They're about making room for God. Are you hungry for God? Let me tell you that the day you gave your life to Jesus, you got everything and you got started on the journey to getting it all. But you didn't get it all. You got it all legally but it's not yours yet. You haven't got all the inheritance. It's still coming to you. Listen to me tonight because some of you here feel like, well, you know what? Nothing much is happening in my life spiritually. Can I tell you, God has got treasure houses 
storehouses of blessing that you have never even noticed there's a door there for it. You've never even realised there's so much more uh, available to you and to me. And I believe this is the day and the hour we are living in where God is going to do even more. I'm expecting more. We are seeing more people come to Christ. We are seeing more people saying, I want to make this my home. We're seeing that in the last while. And I'm excited about the lifting because the kingdom is always about activity and about movement of some kind or other. So the first three are about making room for God. The second three are about allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge and to change your life. It's about giving Him permission into every area of who you are. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. The merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. And all of that is about how we treat uh, uh, the needs that are around about us and allowing the Holy Spirit to use us. But tonight I want to finish this uh, mini-series in the series on the Spirit of the Kingdom by reading verse 9, verse 10 and verse 11. Let's do it together. Verse 9, blessed, we can all read it together, can't we? There it is up there. Ready? Blessed are the, no, no not the pure in heart. I want verse 9. Let's not read verse 8. We covered that last week. Ready? Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 9, verse 10 and verse 11 are all about our relationships and how we respond to people in our world. So much of Scripture is not about the heaven you're going to. So much of it is about the earth you're living on and about how you are dealing with the people. How many people have discovered that as good as God is, there are people in His kingdom? How many of you have not discovered that yet? This is all news to you. You thought you were the only one. You're actually the only one saved and everybody else is just a hanger on. All right, well, I'll try it again. How many of you have discovered that there are people? Huh? And wouldn't it be nice, absolutely, like Psalm 68 verse 6 says, God puts the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. In other words, God says, if you are alone, I'm going to fix alone. I'm going to put you in a group. I'm going to get you in people that you can call family, not necessarily a biological one. Church is a family according to Scripture. Ephesians says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's going to put you in a family because there's no lone rangers. I was thinking again this afternoon about that saying, whoever grows alone grows weird. <laughs> and ain't it so? You ever met somebody? I remember reading the book about a guy. He's now the professor of, I think, sociology at uh, Gold Coast University, whatever that uni's called. I've driven past it enough times. Uh, but anyhow, he spent four years because he, was, he grew up in an orphanage. He burnt it down. He burnt it down. And so the police came and they literally listed him as a sociopath in his medical records. Somebody that could not relate with people. And that was indelibly printed in his mind that he was somebody that couldn't relate. 
He spent four years living in the jungles of the Gold Coast hinterland. I don't remember the name of the book. I just remember hearing the interview and going, wow, what a story. This guy did all that until one day sitting on a bench near the university, somebody came up and talked to him. And somebody said to him, well, you know, got in conversation. What would you like to do if you could do anything? This man who'd never uh, completed school at all, he said, I think I'd like to learn and help others. Well, you know, this person said, you can. He goes, no, I, I haven't got enough education. And they said to him, don't you understand and realise that there is adult education that prepares you for university? He never heard of it. He goes down to the place they told him about, eventually ends up enrolling in an adult pre-uni education course, then goes to university, does the course, a man who's never spent much time in school, goes and does all this, graduates, not just graduates, he graduates with honours. They ask him to come and do the master's program. This guy goes, really? And here's this guy who's been told all of his life that he's stupid, that he can't relate to people, that he's really got nothing to offer, sitting in a master's program. He completes his master's program, goes on to and does a PhD. And now is the professor. I saw a doco on the guy like only a couple of weeks back. It was on TV. So that's my third kind of encounter with this man's amazing story. But this is somebody that thought, you know what? I don't know. And now he's bought a property on the place where he used to camp where he used to hide away from people. And now he spends all day in classrooms, lecturing, teaching people. Why? Because God puts the solitary in families. You can't, God doesn't want you living a life disconnected. He wants you connected. First Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now you are, you are, you are the body of Christ. Members individually. Uh, Verse 18 of that same chapter says, He set each one of us in the body. Now stop right there a minute because isn't that a beautiful story? And ain't that an amazing thing? And how many people here need to be reminded that however, God puts the solitary in families, but He didn't say He put you in amazing ones. That God puts you in the body, the church, but unfortunately for you and I, He doesn't put us in perfect families. Raise your hand if you grew up in a perfect family. One, not many of us would be able to say we grew up in a perfect family. Most of us would go, I wish, like hello, like I wish. You know, how many people are a part of a perfect church? Please don't put your hand up if you're in this church because <laughs> I'm just thinking, mercy me, you know, you, you need to know a little bit more. It'd be nice if it was, we're close. I get that, maybe. But He doesn't put us in perfect jobs. Do you know why most people leave their jobs? Leave them, not redundant, not fine. Do you know why most people leave? Because they can't get on with somebody. So tonight I want to talk to you about and some very practical things about how do I do life with imperfect people? I'm perfect. What's the matter with them? How do I do life with imperfect people? Listen, if you learn how to navigate these things that are going to come to you out of the Scripture, I'm promising you your life will be freer. Your life will be more healthy. I'm promising you that your emotional life will be better. 
I'm saying if you learn some of these things and build them into your life, not learn them in the sense of learn about them, be able to write them down, I encourage you to make notes. But being able to go, you know what? No, I'm, I'm building that spirit of the kingdom because these things are the spirit of the kingdom. And Jesus took one third of everything He's going to tell the disciples. Matter of fact, I've read through Matthew 5, 6 and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters. And can I tell you, over half it is about how you deal with people. So it's a pretty important subject. We all want to go to heaven, but before we get there, we got to live with you. So do you mind me being a little bit practical? I'm not being negative here and saying everyone's bad. The truth is, this church is full of amazing people. I mean, seriously amazing. Rhonda and I had dinner with some people, not from this church, uh, they're Christians, but, and they know a, a lot of people in this church. And we were having dinner with them and they were asking about this one. I'd go, oh, they're so amazing. They're the most. And I'm just, everything they said, I, and I wasn't conscious of the fact that I was saying that. Until after about the fifth person I asked about, I said, oh, they are the most amazing people. I realised it sounded like the only people in this church were amazing. And I kind of had to go, I believe it. I hope they did. The early church was birthed in supernatural signs and wonders. Because again, people go, well, you know, if only God, we need God to move, God or God to move. Well, you do. But you know, in the greatest move of the Holy Spirit, which was the early church, where every day miracles were happening, that's Acts 2. It only takes to Act 6 before there's a conflict in the church and they're at each other's throats. There arose a great dispute among the Grecian widows about the daily distribution of food. They said, this is racist. Huh? This is racist. And that was raising its head in the church and the apostles had to resolve it. Jesus tells His disciples, the spirit of His kingdom is seen in how we respond to conflict and offences. Are you with me here tonight? How many of you are going, I knew I should have stayed home. This is too close to the bone. Uh, too bad you're here now. Stay with us, all right? Here's number one. First thing, hope these things will help you and speak to your life. I believe that you're here for a reason. I believe that God wants you to understand this. If you say, I know it, good. At the end of my preaching, I'm gonna ask you to do a bit of a check. Are you actually got this in, in place? In your life. Number one, resolving conflict will always make you the bigger and the better person. That's what it says in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you're somebody who wants to resolve conflict, according to God, you're going to be blessed. According to God, you're always going to be bigger and better than you were before. Here's a verse for all those of you here who get a little bit knotted up on everybody else's transgressions. This is Proverbs chapter 9, 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. It also means woman. So don't think if you're a woman here, you get to skate out on this. The discretion of a woman makes her slow to anger and her glory or his glory is to overlook a transgression. Hello? Some people, you know, the devil keeps them occupied, batting off every insult, every offence, every slight, every unsaid thing. They didn't thank me. Well, you know, I don't feel appreciated. 
or whatever else it might be and batting all those things off. And the devil loves nothing more. Listen to me. He loves nothing more than keeping Christians occupied, fighting his battles on his terms. When David went down to fight Goliath, Goliath said, why do you come to me with sticks? Why? Because Goliath wanted him to fight with his battle, with his weapons. He's going, hello, where's your sword? David goes, I haven't got one. Because David was smart enough to know you don't fight the enemy on his terms. You fight the enemy on your terms. Amen. So there's a whole bunch of people. Hello, how, how, how often can you go without getting offended? I hope it's a fair while. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but I reckon almost every day I could get it. Well, every day. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. It's getting a bit quiet in here, but, you know, how, how often could it be the person who cuts you off in traffic? You know, whatever. Then you go to work and someone's parked in your parking bay. You know, or you walk in the door and they just grunt at you. <laughs> you know, or whatever else. And, and by the time you get home, you know, and you want to download to your spouse if you have one or to the cat or the dog and they're not interested in listening to you at all. And so you go to bed grumpy and then you get up the next morning, get grumpy again and go off and do the same old thing the way it goes. Some people spend all their life batting off offences. Can I suggest to you a better way is to actually go, you know what, some things just aren't worth fighting with. Some things are just, well, in my, my parlance, my thinking is always like, have you ever, I watched a lot of cricket over summer. I'm amazed how many batsmen let it go through to the keeper. Even some things I'm going, you better hit that. They seem to actually know what's going to hit the wickets and what's not. Well, mostly. Not always. Been a few there where, uh, you know, Steve Smith, who they all, was the next the next incarnation of Donald Bradman, but he kind of hit a few he should have let go. A few pulled shots he should have maybe not hit, but you know what I mean? I'm amazed how many of them will just, you know, like this, whatever. And they let them go and I go, why don't you even try to, they're, they're trying to hit you. And they go, I heard one of them say that this year uh, in the cricket. He says, you know, I don't hit everything the bowler hits. A bowler throws, cup, bowls. I'm so into cricket, <laughs> like an expert, really. Uh, but he said, oh, I, don't, I don't have to hit everything he bowls. I'm playing my game, not his game. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Are you one of those people that all it takes for the devil to wreck your week is to get somebody to chuck an offence your way and you just hold out your big mitt and catch it? Huh? Resolving conflict is always going to make you a bigger or a better person. It's the glory of a person to overlook. That doesn't mean you become a doormat, let people run all over you, but pick the ones you're going to hit. Are you with me? Four of you are. That's excellent. Here's number two. The bigger person is always the one who makes the first step. Oh my goodness. Twice this week. Twice this week, I'm... Hey, I'm just as human as you are. Twice this week I've thought, I don't want to talk to that person. There's nobody here, by the way. I don't want to talk to that person because they're a bozo. <laughs> and I go, well, do I want to be small or do I want to be big? So I pick up the phone, I make the call, chat away, and I don't start it off, we'll come to this one in a minute, I don't start by going, by the way, you're a bozo. 
How many know that's not a good start to a conversation? How many of you have not worked this out yet? I'm here to help. The bigger person is the one who makes the first step. Look at Matthew 5. Now listen, this is in the same chapter. Verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift. God says, I'd rather you fix it than that you stand and worship. Hello. That's pretty serious. Leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then bring your gift. Now he doesn't say, but you know, but Lord, they were a mongrel and it's their fault. So I'm going to stand here and worship and wait for them to fix it. Because the bigger person and the better person is the one who makes the first step. Amen. Oh my goodness, doesn't that take something? Doesn't that take something? Hello, are you all? Does anybody here find this as challenging as I do? Because I still don't like it. This week, I've been a Christian a long, long time. And one of my friends said something other than I'm going, oh, Fennigan. But you know what? I've got the choice right there whether I'm going to be the bigger person in this connection or whether I'm just going to go, well, let him suffer. Let him stew a bit and let him know how I feel. This is going so well, I can hardly believe it. Here's number three. There's only five. Here's number three. The bigger person leaves their ammunition at home. I think we should have the benediction on this one. How many of you here, come on, be honest. How many of you here have ever got into a dialogue of reconciliation that started out with the most powerful words, I'm sorry, but then included the worst word. How many people here got a witness go, I know that one. I'm sorry, but. You know what comes after the but is always the bit of going, I'm sorry I lost my cool, but you made me. And straightway the whole apology just dies a quick death the reconciliation becomes a comatose patient where we call for emergency to come and rescue. Is there an ambo in the house? Let's get this thing going again. This is what I've discovered. Before I go into a discussion over a conflict, get all your ammunition, put it in a drawer somewhere or other and leave it at home. Because you know what I've discovered? If you bring it, you're going to use it. You can't help yourself. And how many people before you get there, you're going, okay, yeah, but I'm totting up and they did this and they did this and, they did this, and that's why I'm so peeved and I'm just going to. And so you put it all there and you got it written down in your bit of paper. And the moment they come out, the temptation to use your ammunition is so strong, isn't it? <clears throat> no, Jeff, no, that never happens to me. <laughs> the bigger person leaves their ammunition at home. Come on, what's more important to... Get rid of, unload your, your armoury of ammunition or to be reconciled, to fix this thing. Here's number four. The bigger person builds bridges that are easy to cross. Some people build barbed wire bridges. Imagine that for a minute. 
Imagine, imagine if the bridge across to Optus Stadium, instead of being that beautiful architectural, sculptural thing you do, because that's an architectural term that I'm using there. Some of you are unaware of that, that it's an architectural term. It's called a thing you do. And uh, it's beautiful and it's all waveform and looks lovely and all the rest of that jazz. But you know, if it was made out of barbed wire, how many people do you think are going to use it? They, listen to me. When they build bridges, the designers build them so they're easy to cross. Duh. Because who wants to cross a difficult bridge? Huh? Nobody does. And, but sometimes we build bridges out of barbed wire and it sounds a bit like this. I'm not going to talk to them until they apologise. I've got friends of mine, not here, and I'm talking about them. Well, I'm not going to talk to them again until they come and repent. I'm going, well, I'm not sure what that means. What does that look like? Fall down and gush and die and cry. Are you building bridges that make it easy for the other person to cross? They have to prove to me. Really? I don't know how they're going to prove anything. You can't, you can't prove gravity. I don't know how you're going to prove it. I can't prove the Trinity. I can tell you about it. I can explain it, but I can't prove it. So if you can't prove even those major things, how are you going to get someone to prove that the future they haven't lived yet is going to be better than the past? Well, I think this is why Jesus left these last three to the last. Because the disciples, were, they're, they're good for the blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They're going, oh, yes, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. Oh, amen. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, yes, God, I'll be merciful. Oh, yes, I will. And then he starts getting into this and they're going like, whoa. Because one of them, Peter came, Peter's remembering all this. He comes to Jesus one point and says, how often have I got to forgive my brother? Seven times, seven times. And he's there going thinking, I'm a legend because I'm offering seven where once upon a time I just would have killed him. So he's like going, woo, seven times. Jesus is going to be so impressed. And Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Peter's going, uh, this is nuts. That's 490 times. And Jesus 90 said, 70 times seven, he said in one day. 490 times in one day. If you're awake for 16 hours a day, let's assume you're awake for 16, some more, some less. 16 hours multiplied by 60 minutes is how many? 960. It's a lot. 960 minutes in a day is how many seconds? Well, let's just stick with the minutes of that. If you've got to forgive someone 490 times and you're only awake for 960 minutes, Two times 490 is 980. 980 is less than 900, is more than 960 rather. That means I've got to forgive someone slightly more than once every two minutes. Oh, forget it. I thought this going to heaven thing was easy. I thought following Jesus was just like, you know, oh, in the sweet by and by. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. And then he says, forgive him every two minutes. I'm going, is there anybody else up there? Is there another person I could talk to? 
The bigger the person is, the more you build bridges that make it easy for someone to cross. Here's a verse that changed my life. I learned this when I was a fairly new Christian and certainly very new in leadership and was struggling to find the balance between leading well and mercy. Proverbs 13 verse 8, you should memorise this one. It says this, only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And I learned that verse and it changed my life because I began to understand something out of that verse. Is this, if contention only comes by pride, then if I get rid of pride, contention hasn't got a foothold. It can't get started. So I learned that if I'm going to reconcile, if I'm going to fix it, I've got to get rid of pride. Now, I can't fix your pride, but I can sure fix mine. Jesus said, remember, humble yourselves. He didn't say humble somebody else. Are you all here tonight? Huh? He didn't say humble somebody. How many people, we always want to humble somebody else? Huh? We want to bring them down a peg or two. They're not as good as they think they are, little smarty pants. I'm going to give them a thing. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Unfortunately, we just give them the mouldy piece. We give them the bit that's been sitting in the fridge for too many weeks and has got stuff growing on. We give them that bit. And the Bible says if you're gonna if you're gonna do something like give people the best bit. Heat colds of fire on their head. That doesn't mean scold them and burn them. It means purify. Amen. So if I'm gonna do if I'm gonna do this, I've got to get rid of pride. So I've learned not to come in like this. Look, I might have got this wrong. But let me tell you the way it looks. And then I'm going to let you talk. And I've found if I get rid of pride first, I can resolve almost all conflicts. Not all of them. Some things you can't fix. I'm not here trying to tell you you can fix it all. Jesus let some people go because he couldn't fix their conflict. John 6, 66, and many walk no more with him. And he let him go. He never went back and said, look, I'm sorry. I'll change my doctrine. I'll change my preaching. I'll let me fix it for you. Some people are, you're just not going to walk with them. They're not meant to walk the journey with you. I get that. But only by pride. So I can't fix yours, but I can fix mine. Here's the last one. Are you ready? First one was resolving conflict always makes you the bigger and the better. The bigger the person is, they're the one who make the first step. They leave their ammunition at home. They build bridges that are easy to cross. And here's number five. The peacemakers are blessed, not the right. I'll let that sink in a minute. According to verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are them that are in the right. How many people know there's a big gap sometimes between the peacemakers and them that are right. Ever been right? You were so right. You were incredibly right. But your rightness never fixed it. it when you became a peacemaker, it fixed it. Because the Bible doesn't say, blessed are the peace finders. Huh? I know there's peace around here somewhere. I'm just looking. Oh God, this is such a mess. Oh God, send forth thy angels, Lord. Bring, oh God, supernaturally change them. Well, that'd be nice. That'd be peace finding. 
But according to the Bible, I don't know why I'm over here talking to all you young ones over here. <laughs> according to the Bible, it's the peacemakers. They're people who make something out of what's not there. Isn't that what you do? You become a peacemaker. Yeah, but I hate their guts. Some of us want peace to come down in a butler's tray. We want the Lord to come down and go, Oh, my son, I see how thou art struggling. But I have decided to come. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely, I almost fell right into your lap then, the presence of the Lord. And we used to sing songs like that. We used to sing songs like this in church. I hated them like the plague. We used to sing songs like this. But who will I pick on? Do you want it? Give me your best. They, the worship leader would say, Ken and I, if you ever do this, I will personally come and drag you off the stage. Just look into the person beside you, into their eyes as we say, Oh, I love you with the love of the Lord. And you, you knew you'd dare not turn away because if you turn away, they'd know you never really loved them. So, so, so then it became a staring competition. Well, almost like, God, if I, if I look away, something, you know. So then, and you weren't going to blink. If you blinked too much, they'd know that you were really not, you know what I mean? And, well, you know, or we'd have to hold hands and sing, you know, I'm a boy from the bush and we'd have to hold hands. There's some sweaty old bloke beside me and I've got to hold his hand while I sing, walking together in fellowships. And I'd be going like, oh God, help me. Jesus, save me from all this. I don't know how I got onto that. I'm sure there was a point to it. Team, please come, rescue me. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace finders. Are you listening to me tonight? The peacemakers are blessed, not the right. In a minute, uh, Foal, Molopolo, right here, Foal's going to come and lead us around communion because we wanted to start off the year with, in as many services in this month as we could, receiving communion together. Why? Because communion is the body. It's what we do together. You can have it on your own, but Jesus never had it on His own. The first time He had it, He had it with His team. He had it with those that were committed to Him. And I love the fact that we get to do this as a body. It's great if you do it at home. But I think there's something special when we do it together. And I told you I'd ask you, you know, not how you're going with the doctrine of this. I honestly, usually a couple of times a year, go down the list of everybody that's ever hurt me. Most of them I can't remember. But I just don't want to, I don't want to carry something because they did that. I don't want to carry that thing. I want to walk before God. Jesus is telling the disciples, if you want to walk on my kingdom, it's always going to be best if you become a peacemaker. If you let conflict go out of your life. Don't build on it. Don't elaborate on it. Build bridges easy for people to cross. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for tonight and thank You for each other. God, thank You for putting us in families, in jobs, in churches that are not perfect, where everybody doesn't have it all together, where we have to rub up against one another's humanity and one another's brokenness and one another's imperfection and see the Kingdom work despite all of that stuff that's going on. 
see the kingdom actually become what it's meant to be, regardless of all that stuff. I pray for people here tonight, Lord, who've allowed a wall to get built inside of them that keeps one or two or many out. Would you begin to dissolve that tonight? Let them decide tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow the Holy Spirit to establish the kingdom in me and the way I deal with others in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. Come on, if that's you, would you just, from your heart right now, just tell the Lord, Lord, I, I'm going to, would you help me? I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to resolve that. Lord, would you help change me? I, I take offence too easily. I keep memory of it far too long. Lord, would you help me? Would you get rid of some of that? Come on, if that's you, just give me a little wave. I'm looking around. No one else is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of hands as I thought there would be. Come on. If that's you, just tell God. You can put your hand back down again. Thank you. Come on, just say to the Lord, you know, God, I'm not going to let that. Sometimes they're way back and they're so far back. Some of they're more recent than that. But tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let the kingdom work in this because I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to fight the devil on his terms. I'm going to fight my battles on your terms in Jesus' name. Father, help those people tonight and everybody else that is responding. Father, would you speak to hearts and lives tonight in Jesus' name. I'm just going to ask Phil to come right now and share with us around communion. And then, Phil, maybe in that you could speak to people about following Jesus and how we can do that. Because I think that has got to be the greatest example of forgiveness there ever is, ever in our world and our life. If you could do that, that would be just awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Uh, if I could invite the host team just to come and distribute the elements, please. Yeah, it's a privilege and an honour to, and an excitement to come around the communion table as we uh, honour God and thank God for what He's done um, through shedding His blood for us, dying in our place. And I just want to share a scripture, uh, Luke 22, uh, verses 17 to 20. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for me. And I just want to share some thoughts about that word covenant. It's a quite a deep word. And it's a covenant is basically an agreement between two parties. And Jesus is saying that there is a new covenant. That implies that there was an old covenant. There was an old system that used to take place. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. In the Old Testament, God would use covenants to create communion. In the New Testament, Jesus is doing the same thing. 
in the Old Testament when they would cut a covenant, um, there, were different, there was a different procedure that people went through. And in the Old Testament, some of them was the exchanging of robes. Two parties would exchange the robes. The robes would represent the person. It was symbolic of me taking off my robe and giving it to someone else. It was symbolic of me entering into them and them entering into me. Jesus exchanged the righteous robe for us, for our robes of filthy rags. There was a transition that took place. There was an exchange of names that took place. Abraham's name went from Abraham to Abraham. Your name goes from who you were in the past to a son of God, to a daughter of God. There was an exchange of bouts. There was an exchange of bouts. The bouts weren't used to hold up pants because they didn't have pants back then. But the bouts were used to hold the weapons. So when they would cut the covenant, the changing of the bouts, I would take my bout, give it to the other party and vice versa. The bouts held the weapons. The weapons said, the symbolic of the weapons was, I've got your back and, I've, and you've got mine. When Jesus gave his life for us, everything that he has is now ours. Covenant means everything that you have is also now God's. Jesus is calling us into a better covenant, a new covenant. We now live in the age of the new covenant. The blood represents, well, the wine represents the blood. So there was also a covenant meal that they would make. There was also the exchange of not only the robes and the, the names, but there was also a scar that was made. There were so many things in the Old Testament that required of a person to do. But in the New Covenant, now that we're in the New Covenant, it's all about what God has done for us at the cross. Let's stand. There's a, there's a time when Jesus um, appeared to his disciples after the cross and the disciples um, wanted to check, it, check out if that re really was Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, a spirit or a ghost does not have flesh and bone. Why didn't he say doesn't have blood because his blood was already poured out his blood was already passed without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin his blood was already poured out on the cross and so the bread that you're holding in your hand represents his broken body his broken body was broken by our sin that he took upon his body so that we can have freedom the blood that was poured out was his life. The Bible says that life is in the blood. So when all of his blood was poured out, that's why he said flesh and bone, not flesh and blood. His blood was already poured out for us. We are in a new covenant, a new agreement, a better covenant. I'm just going to pray and we'll take communion. Father, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. 
Lord, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us, your life given for us, like a covenant. All that you have is now ours, and all we have is now yours. The exchange of the robe and everything like that, Lord, even the exchange of the terms, we thank you for that. The terms and the conditions of the new covenant are much better. That in the new covenant, we thank you that we get righteousness, we get salvation, we get authority, we get newness of life, and you get our pain, you get our concerns, you get our worries. And we thank you for the better change, the better covenant, Father. We thank you. We thank you for your blood, and we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We do this in remembrance of you. Your word says, forget not thy benefits. We're not just remembering you, Lord. We're remembering what you've done on the cross. And when, you, when God raised you from the dead, we thank you for that. So church, let's eat and drink. Thank you, Lord. tonight that you you don't know Jesus yet you may know about him but you don't know him fully if there's anyone here tonight I just want to give an opportunity for you to make a decision to to find out who he is the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess it with our mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead we can be saved all the work has been done at the cross. That's the exchange that we have. All our part is to simply believe and receive. If there's anyone like that, I would like to um, pray with you. I'm going to get the church to pray along with me. But just as I know who I'm praying with, if there is anyone that would like to do that with us tonight, just with, uh, if you raise your hand, then I'd know who we're praying for. Pray, church. Just repeat this prayer after me. Father God, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the newness of life. Help me walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.